feel like every day, the other teams did well, but every day this team has come, we haven't had a, what I would call a bad practice. Um, we've had some, we may have started slow, or, but we've never had a bad practice where you go and watch the film and you go, oh gosh, they just weren't in it today. That has not happened, which shows, to me, shows maturity. It also shows they're in really good condition and it shows a little bit of fire in their belly. Welcome to Buffed Stampede Radio. Your hosts Adam Munster, Tiger, Ryan Konigsberg, and fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Gentlemen, step up to the mic and drop some CU knowledge. Are you ready for some football? Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Very excited here that we get to actually talk about a football game that's going to take place on the field this week. My name is Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin and BSN Denver's Ryan Konigsberg. Guys, how you doing? Doing great. It's finally uh, football week. Finally football season is here. Yeah, game week, which is, you know, that's always pretty exciting, a little stressful, and I finally got internet and TV, so just in time for the season. So I'm ready to go. All right. Well, I, we're I gonna... still don't have TV. I should probably yeah. work on that. <laughs> you touched on uh, being a little nervous, and I feel like, the Colorado fan base in general is feeling a little angst. Not that they don't have confidence in this football team, just knowing the importance of this game. We're going to talk more about that. Uh, but first, we're going to kind of recap the preseason camp that took place. We were all out there, and I feel like we're going to have a lot of the same answers here because we watch a lot of the, the practices together. But just in general, guys, talk a little bit about what stood out to you most about camp. I think, to me, the number one thing that stood out to me was confidence. Um, you know, it, it all started with the bowl game talk, and it was all just backed up throughout the entire preseason. Even, you know, the players are always a little more confident, but you could feel Mike McIntyre's confidence. And he was a lot more loose throughout camp with the media. He's having fun every day, making jokes. Um, and all of it boils down back to me is he's just confident. Um, I feel like when a coach starts to worry and starts to feel like they need to hide little things here and there and all that, it, you can feel the uh, the worry within them, and I didn't feel that with Mike McIntyre or any of the staff or any of the players throughout this this camp. So for the first time, I think they're truly, truly confident in themselves. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think a lot of the reason to do with that confidence is this: the first time in a while, I can actually look out at the team and say, "Wow, this looks like a football team." Like you can see guys at multiple positions that have proper size. Um, years have passed; they've started running out with injury. You know, that was pretty much it. You knew you were going to struggle at that position going forward. And I, th I honestly truly think that a lot of the positions this year, you can plug and place somebody else in there, and they're going to do a pretty good job. I mean, to me, it's just a lot of the guys have been in the program long enough. No, there seems like there's a lot less mistakes going out there. Uh, now they're doing a lot less thinking and, you know, just going out and playing fast, as you hear them say all the time. So to me, you know, it, it's just the depth and the size. I mean, there's there's actually a football team coming together now rather than, you know, 15 or 16 guys we really needed to rely on heavily. And if they went out with injury, it was all downhill from there. Yeah, you always hear the strength program in the offseason was the best ever this year. And we heard Mike McIntyre before camp started talking about we finally have a varsity football team. We kind of had a JV team before. 
And, and a lot of times you, you hear all that stuff and you get out there and you don't really see a major change. But this year, just the first practice, you, yeah, to your point, you look out there and go, this, this is a power conference football team and this is what it's supposed to look like. Uh, and they, didn't ha- they haven't had that for a little while. You've got Mike McIntyre video on that, the Buff Stampede message boards every day and the, the entire comment section almost every time was, whoa, look at those guys walking behind the camera. Yeah. They're huge. Yeah, and you, you talked about Mike McIntyre seeming more confident. I think always when the cameras are rolling, maybe a little bit more buttoned up for the responses and not wanting to overly praise certain guys. But I noticed a big difference just him hanging around the media before and after his address to them. He would get kind of salty as we got closer and closer to the previous two seasons. This year, even today, is the last time he addressed the media before the team departs for Hawaii and still seems kind of loose and seems to really – believe in this football team yeah he's poking fun at me for wearing a hawaiian shirt having fun out there yeah in the depth i think you're really going to see them help in terms of the the special teams coverage units i think we're expecting special teams to be kind of an adventure but in terms of the coverage units you I mean you've got guys like afalabi laguda evan white ryan severson christian shaver uh jordan murphy john walker you're gonna have some really good guys that aren't going to be on the field maybe a ton on offense or defense that are going to be really good uh, special teams guy. Even I think Ryan Moeller, even though he got a starting job, is probably going to be out there. Uh, guys, let's kind of rank the five players that surpassed your expectations the most during camp. Which guys are better at this point than you, you thought they were going to be going into camp? Well, you just mentioned my number one, uh, and that was Ryan Moeller. I mean, I think we all were really high on him last year just in terms of what we, the expectations were going in for him. But you could see pretty much right away. I mean, from Jim Lab at first day of camp, basically screaming at Moeller after practice that he was going to play a lot of football here. So you knew right away that the staff loved him, and it became obvious pretty quickly that he was going to start at safety. Uh, you know, it's a, at least that's what they make it seem like they're going to do with him. Uh, and to me, I have he is no, definitely starting. Yeah, at safety. and I have no issues with it. Like I have no. You'd think some people are probably going to be nervous, like oh, former walk-in. Not for me. I would have um, an issue if he wasn't out there because yeah, he's he just makes plays. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, number two was Devin Ross, and it was never a talent thing with him um, in terms of speed or agility. To me, he just he was never able to catch the ball, and we'll see if that changes in games, but it certainly has in practice. He's done a lot better job actually securing the ball, and I, I, he's a really explosive guy, so it's nice to be able to add him to your wide receiver core. Um, three for me, I have Rick Gamboa, um, a guy who coming in last year, I think a lot of people were really disappointed in, someone that a lot of us didn't think was going to play a lot of minutes here at Colorado. He's really uh, worked a lot on his body, um, and it seems like he's really going to play some actual defensive snaps this year, so that was really exciting for me to see. Uh, I have another linebacker, at Forge, Lee Luini. Um, he was a guy that I didn't think was going to be able to transition right away and play, but the staff seems really high on him, and he seems to be getting the schemes. I think he's a really good athlete, and he can make some plays out there. And for me, five was Sean Irwin, um, who you know played a little bit last year, and we knew he was going to start. But uh, to me, he's showed a little more explosiveness. He was able to use his body a little bit better, uh, especially in the red zone drills. So to me, I think he's a guy who actually could be somewhat productive for us this year, which we haven't had a tight end in a while. Yeah, before we get to your list, Ryan, uh, just on Sean Irwin, he's on my list as well. And I kind of had placed the serviceable label on him uh, from last season going into this season. And while I don't think he's going to be an all-conference guy, I I think he's better than serviceable. I think he's going to be a quality player in that role. And maybe he isn't going to catch 50 balls or anything like that, but he does kind of a master of everything in terms of a tight end. He can be in line, and, and McIntyre said he's the best blocking tight end in the Pac-12. I don't know enough about the other the conference's other tight ends to know how close that is to being true. But he he's finally realized, too, that he's not going to beat defenses over the top. 
right. in the in the passing game. So he's gotten really crafty with the underneath routes. So I, I'm pretty high on Sean Irwin going into this season. Ryan, let's get your list. Yeah, uh, my number one is Ryan Muller too, um, and Tyler covered a lot of it. Basically, what I wrote the other day after the depth chart came out is don't be the person who thinks that this is because the guys behind him have taken a step backwards. This is because Ryan Muller has taken a step forward in a, in a big one. And he's fast. He's a good tackler. Um, he has great ball skills. The kid is a good, good college football player, and he's, he's going to prove it out there this year. Um, number two, I have NJ Follow, uh, the freshman. Um, and obviously he, he wasn't a completely under-the-radar guy or anything like that. Um, I just wasn't expecting him to to look so freaking big out there. I mean, he looks like a fifth-year senior, like we've joked um, time and time again. Uh, and I have KT to, give, to them all yeah, on steroids. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Same number, same hair. Not not that NJ follows on steroids. I, don't think <laughs> that I have to give credit to Tyler because I think on like the second day of practice, we just were throwing out what what freshmen we think are going to contribute. And I'm a, I'm a person who early in camp, especially my eyes tend to look at the offense. And Tyler was like, have you, have you seen NJ out there? And I keyed in on him that day, and I mean, the kid's impressive. And like I said, he, he already looks the role. Um, third was another linebacker, which is Rick, Rick Gamboa. Um, we had kind of written him off, so I guess we owe him an apology. Um, at, even as a recruit, we no one was really too stoked about Rick Gamboa. Um, and, he, and he was out there this year and making plays up for, for that defense, so good for him. Next one is Jaleel Awini. Um, he made that transition look a lot easier than it, than it seems going from quarterback to kind of a outside linebacker, pass-rushing guy. Um, and then the last one, which I think is going to surprise people, um, was, was Shea Fields. And I, I think Shea Fields was a, a really good player last year, and I had high expectations for him coming in here. But the question was players that surpass your expectations. And he he looked great out there. I don't, I don't know if... I saw him drop more than a couple passes, and he looks faster and stronger and bigger. And so I guess I wasn't expecting as big of a jump from him, and I think he did really make a big jump. Okay. I'll go through my list really quickly here because we're t- I'm going to be touching on the same guys that you guys talked about. Number five for me, I'll go in reverse order, was Ryan Muller. Not that I was any less impressed with him than you guys. I just – when you – have the performance that he did in his first start at Oregon last year, you kind of saw a little bit of what his potential was. And so it didn't quite shock me that he was as good. I just didn't quite honestly know if he was going to get as much of a shot as he did, but it was like from day one in camp almost, he was running with the ones and consistently throughout camp. Number four for me was Sean Irwin. I already talked about him. Number three, Ryan, and, and I, I got to ask you, I'm surprised he's not on your list because I know you're high on him. For me, it was Devin Ross just because this is somebody that, struggled with the drops before even in practices and really put it all together uh, he's listed as the the uh, starting slot receiver on the depth chart I think he's a versatile piece a guy they can move in, into all those different receiver positions yeah uh, I didn't put him on my list because he didn't surprise me I, I was kind of expecting Devin to come out and have a great camp everything I'd heard from players and coaches and just anyone inside the offseason before camp started was that he had taken his commitment to the game to a whole nother level and with a guy with that much commitment with that much talent uh you have to expect great things so for him it was always uh, i think a little bit mental and and he told me in an interview this camp that he he loves his speed so much that he just wanted to get the ball and go so fast and um he said he really talked to nelson spruce a lot about what it takes to you know be a good uh a great catcher of the ball and 
so it, it seems like to, for me it was just I I expected him to have a great camp. He came out and had a great camp. There was one practice in the middle of camp and. and as a reporter, you're out there so much, and you get bored, and you have these little fun contests among the reporters. And we all picked a receiver we thought would go the longest without dropping a pass. And uh, Jake, uh, who, who works for you, Ryan, picked Nelson Spruce. Pretty easy pick there. I picked Shea Fields. Good hands. And you kind of surprised us by taking Devin Ross with this. And we're thinking, oh, Ryan's going to be the first one out of this contest. And sure enough, Devin Ross goes the longest without dropping a pass. And it was at that point, I was like, okay, maybe he is starting to get over this issue. I still, I mean, just like anything, you want to see it in games. And, and I do worry if he gets a drop early that maybe all of a sudden he could kind of revert in terms of a psyche standpoint. We'll see. But I, I, I agree with you and, and was surprised with him. Number two on my list was Jaleel Lawini. The fans, actually, when we did our Top Buffs Countdown voting, had him in their top 50. And I remember, Tyler, you and I were going, I think this is a kind of premature, yep. uh, maybe a year early because he had you know, just moved over from quarterback in the spring. And I thought maybe it would take a little bit longer for him to adjust. The fans, i got to give you guys credit, whoever put the, him on your top 50 list because he definitely lived up to this camp, uh, is listed Number one, it's Sam outside linebacker, but uh, he's going to be kind of in a hybrid. He's even going to play some of a nickelback role at times. He's going to be a really versatile guy for them. And uh, I was just kind of surprised that he had taken that big of a step in sh such a short period of time. And number one on my list was Rick Gamboa, who you guys talked a little bit about. And I've got to eat crow here. Like Ryan, you were saying, we didn't really respect him much coming in here. I thought he was kind of slow for a linebacker. But what Rick Gamboa did while redshirting is he transformed his body lost the bad weight and just looks like a football player now and, and is able to play faster. And the one thing you, you sometimes you don't or you aren't, aren't able to quantify when you're, you're covering these recruits is how smart a football player is he. And that's where Rick Gamboa kind of separates himself. Uh, a really high football IQ guy. And also commitment. You, you know, it goes the other way sometimes where a guy that's ranked really highly doesn't come out there and have the commitment that a guy like Rick Gamboa might have to get his body right, to get himself in a position where he can, you know, get out there on the field. So there's a couple things that make it hard to project recruits. Yeah, and on the flip side, guys, that are most disappointing uh, to talk about Rick Gamboa and kind of the intangibles there on the flip side, Deshaun Rippey just disappears. It looked like he had kind of flashed in the spring, and I was expecting him to be maybe a backup at one of those inside linebacker positions, but... I mean, unless we see him on special teams this year, he's not going to be on the field. Yeah, it was definitely a big surprise for me. Um, I kind of assumed he would fill that role that Gamboa seems to have slid into along with Grant Watanabe. Uh, he just disappeared. I mean, we, we in the spring we saw that he was really starting to turn the corner, and he really didn't even participate that much in fall camp this year. Just really nowhere to be found. Um, so I don't know. I have no idea what's going on with that. But, I mean, it seems pretty clear to me that he's not going to play at all this year. Um, I had a couple other people on there. I had Jace Frankie, who I know the staff is really high on and seems to be, you know, doing fine in the depth chart and all that. But every time I watch him, he seems just kind of, he's just, to me, average. Not a guy that I would really love to see starting on this team right now. So He's not was, starting, though. He's well, going to be a backup. He'll right. be in the rotation. Yeah. Yeah. And, but to me, I think that there was a lot of expectations for him going in and how people thought about him as a freshman. And so far, he hasn't taken that next step for me. And I just threw Addison on there as well because I'm still not 100% convinced that he is going to be able to play as many snaps full-time as he was last year. Um, you know, he did definitely miss some days in camp. He protected him a little bit, kept him out of some drills. So I'm still a little bit wary of where that is going to lead us during the season. Ryan, Alex Kinney's got to be on our list too, right? This is a true freshman expected to come in and win the starting punting job and – 
we're recording this Monday afternoon, and there's still no decision as to who the starting punter is going to be. Yeah, that uh, I wasn't even I hadn't even uh, thought about special teams. He's probably got to be number one, um, if, maybe next to Rippy, because. Mike McIntyre basically handed him the job the second that he signed his name on a letter of intent. And so, you know, you, it's your job to lose. Go out there, put the work in, speed up your drop, and, and do it. And you didn't do it. So I, and I, and I don't think he's going to win the starting job. Uh, I, I honestly think we'll see Chris Graham trout out there for the first punt of the season uh, on Thursday afternoon, or Thursday not after, well, well <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, that is, that's a huge disappointment. And then one for me, which isn't really a big disappointment, but um, Michael Adkins didn't think he really um, did it, did anything impressive to me during camp. I, I think he kind of just was there. I actually, the other, uh, it's not one player, but I kind of said another disappointing thing was just the fact that the running backs didn't really separate themselves, which is kind of disappointing in the sense that you still kind of have this log jam at the position. You've got Christian Powell, Philip Lindsay, Michael Atkins, Patrick Carr, all expected to play this season. but And maybe this will work itself out. Maybe Patrick Carr breaks a few runs and all of a sudden becomes your feature back. We'll see. Yeah, I think, I, I honestly think uh, Powell and Lindsay kind of did separate themselves a little bit from Atkins. Okay. Well, Atkins is third on the depth chart, so the coaches seem to agree with you there. Um, yeah, it's it's like Atkins has kind of almost had his opportunity to be a feature guy, and due to some bad luck with injuries and, and whatnot, it, it just didn't really kind of come together for him. I, I don't, you can't say it's impossible for him to achieve that. We don't know how the season's going to play out, but yeah, I can yeah, see I just, that. I think that you can kind of see some frustration from the staff about how he handles his injuries. It seems like if he's not 100%, he really isn't out there very much. So as a running back, obviously you're going to get dinged up a lot, and that is the one thing. I mean, you see him limping off on runs all, constantly. And that's even harder to get away with when you're running next to a guy like Philip Lindsay, who yeah. would probably yeah. try and go out there with a broken leg if he could. And Philip Lindsay did have a pretty nasty turf toe injury in the spring, and yet he was out there every day making plays with that turf toe. Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there, there's a reason he's a, a fan favorite, and that's one of them. Let's go position by position here real quick. We're not going to spend a ton of time on each positions, but just – Kind of revisit this since we kind of did this uh, before camp started. Uh, started quarterback, uh, obviously, Sefo Lufau, your starter, no controversy there. Jordan Gerke still the backup. Kate Absay, third. And then Steven Montez is listed fourth on the quarterback depth chart. That doesn't mean he's the fourth best quarterback on the roster. It just means he's going to redshirt this year. I feel better about Sefo Lufau as a starter going into this season than I did last year. He had a kind of a mediocre, if not subpar, camp going into last year before. Uh, having some success as a sophomore. What are your guys' th just thoughts on any of the quarterbacks here? Yeah, I mean, Sefo last year, I mean, I would say he was he was pretty bad in camp last year, and he came out and had a pretty solid season. So um, by no means was he a world beater this year, but he was definitely far superior to last year's camp. So if, if, he's, if we see that same translation onto the field, he's going to have a really good year. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's no controversy at all with the quarterbacks. I agree with you that Montez is probably even the second most talented quarterback right now but they want him to redshirt. I think that's a smart decision. So I think even if somehow Stefo got injured, you would not see him come onto the field this year. Yeah, I think that, the, I mean, it's not even worth really going into that. I think the only way that something like that happens is if Stefo and Gerke are both injured, they're still playing for a bowl game, it's late in the season, then that's that's the only way I could see 
um, Stephen Montez getting on the field, but you hope you know for the players' sake and, and for the program that they don't have to have deal with that many injuries. Um, when it comes to the quarterbacks, though, as well, as I agree with you guys on the fact that Cepho, um had a much better camp and you feel more comfortable about him as a starter, I just I don't feel as comfortable with Gerke as a backup as I did last year. I don't think he really uh, imp- improved at all this camp. I is think. that camp talking or what you saw at the Oregon game? No, that's I, that is hundred percent camp talk. Okay. And then uh, I, I guess uh, Montez and Apsay will kind of switch off on scout team. We I think we all had maybe this debate during camp. If if you didn't know anything about CU football, and you had gone out to a practice and watched the quarterbacks through I don't know a couple three practices, would you come away that Montez is this team starting quarterback and not knowing anything? Or? If the reps were equal. If the reps were all equal and everything was equal, I think there would be people who would make a case thinking that Steven Montez was the starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say no because you can see who he's playing with. But at the same time, on strictly arm talent and athletic ability, he's the most talented quarterback on the team for sure. Yeah. We talked about tailback a little bit. Christian Powell is going to be on the field. A lot of, a lot of CU fans just kind of waiting for somebody to – overtake him on the depth chart and he's a senior now it's just apparently never going to happen yeah i mean um not that i have any, there's anything wrong with christian powell he's a very reliable guy back there I, you just like to have somebody who's a little more explosive getting a bulk of your carries um it does definitely seem like they're going to use they said they were going to try to separate the running backs so i guess we'll see what happens but it, based on how camp went you would think all the guys once again will see touches um to me he's got to get a little more powerful um, on the goal line stands and stuff. He, you know, he gets powerful once he gets through that first line of attack, but he needs to be able to push that pile a couple yards for the first downs a little bit more to me. Um, and then I think Lindsey, they'll use more in that scat back type role. Maybe he'll see some more uh, catches out of the backfield. I'm going to make a prediction. Patrick Carr is ranked fourth on the depth chart at tailback. I'm going to make a prediction that he doesn't finish fourth in terms of attempts. I think he's going to get more attempts than that. What do you guys think? I completely agree with that. Um, I think... I think Michael Atkins ends up finishing fourth in attempts. Okay. Anything else you want to add here with the, the tailbacks, Ryan? Nope. Philip Lindsay's your your pick to lead this team in rushing, yep. right? And, and you talked a little bit about the short yards. I, I really think they and they tried this a little bit at the beginning of last year to no avail, but I, I think they're going to go back to Philip Lindsay in the short yardage just because they love his tenacity in there. At fullback, it's a situation uh, either or with George Frazier and Jordan Murphy. I think that has to do with George Frazier's off-the-field issue. And McIntyre hasn't made any announcement whether he's going to get on the plane to Hawaii. I would be a little bit surprised if we see him play on Thursday night. But again, this is not anything we've heard from the coaches. I just I think if if, if you're going to have him suspended for a for a game or two games or whatever it is, you want to kind of just get it out of the way. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a little suspicious if they hold off and wait to do it for, like, Nickel State or something. I mean, that's not really a punishment, you know. Like, So, to me, if they're going to suspend him, it will be to start the season. Um, I mean, George Frazier's a starter. If Once he gets over the suspension, there will no, there will no longer be an or next to his name yeah. in the fullback position. So, it's simple as that. I right? don't really understand the motive behind waiting so long to announce whether or not he's going to be suspended for a game. Maybe they don't want Hawaii to know whether he's going to be in there or not. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, because it seems to me like he showed that he's kind of a threat and out of the backfield catching passes as well last year. I don't think Jordan Murphy is going to play that role. So there's just that little wrinkle that maybe they can't prepare for whether or not he'll be there or not. Jordan Murphy was in our uh, 
top top uh, arm wrestlers on the team category. I think up there with Clay Norgard is up there. Clay Norgard arm wrestling championship. (laughs) Yeah. That's the next uh, big video feature. You guys talked about short yardage stuff a little bit. I'd love to see a a heavy dose of Christian Powell and Frazier out there together in those situations. They did it a few times last year, and it just – if you're a defensive guy and you're lining up and you see those two guys in the backfield, you got to be a little nervous. Yeah, I mean, Powell's definitely gotten himself into much better shape this year too, so um, I think he can hit that hole a little bit harder. We'll see whether or not he's able to squeeze through and get the extra yards we need out of him. Let's go on to a tight end here. Sean Irwin, of course, at the top of the depth chart. We already talked about him. He Right below him is Dylan Keeney. Now, Dylan Keeney is never going to be in line. He's 6'6", 220. He will be used in that uh, big receiver role that we saw Tyler McCulloch play last call year. It, call it the right name. The Gucci, uh, <laughs> Gucci role on <laughs> the <you>. offense. <laughs> Dylan Keeney was my wild card actually going into camp, and it's not that he had a bad camp. I He's not quite as fluid as I was kind of expecting. I think he is going to present some mismatch problems for other teams because of his size. And he's got pretty good hands, but he's not like a guarantee to catch every ball. Uh, so I think he will help this team, but I don't think he's going to be somebody you're going to see on the field a ton. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think you'll see him get out there and, and run a couple of those routes that we saw Gucci run last year. Um, I think they'll like to use him maybe close down in the goal line, not, you know, first and one from from the one-yard line, but, you know, inside the 10 where it's it's more of a throwing situation down in the red zone, I think you'll, you'll see Keeney make his difference in there. Yeah, hey. I think, go ahead, sorry. No, you, you go ahead. I was just going to say real quick that I think he can be a weapon against some of the smaller schools that maybe don't have such athletic linebackers. Um, I think they'll use him situa- situationally sorry, to try to get um, you know specific matchups on linebackers and key uh, third-down situations and stuff like that. So Dylan Keeney will catch a touchdown against Nichols State is what you're saying? Yeah, that would be more likely than uh, Oregon. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, hey. so everyone on the team is more likely to score a touchdown against Nichols State than Oregon. Yes. Hayden Jones is third on the depth chart there. He's now 6'6", 255, so he came in pretty skinny. He's put on a decent amount of weight. I don't think you're really going to see him on the field much this year. It might be a thing where you want to see him kind of progress to a point where uh, when Sean Irwin graduates in a couple of years, he could be maybe part of that mix. Chris Hill ranked fourth at tight end, a sophomore. He's a walk-on. He's actually... A pretty decent football player. I think, I don't know if it's special teams or if, if they'd have to, unfortunately, be ravaged with injuries for him to get on the field. But it wouldn't, like, shock me ever if I saw number 38 Chris Hill run out there. Yeah, no, I mean, actually, I was a little surprised to see him behind Hayden Jones on the depth chart. Uh, to me, he's he has the more of an ability to get open. Jones is kind of a lumberer. I, I could see Hill actually, like, running around and getting open. And he's not a guy that you want to start, but to me, he's a really solid walk-on. He's not on the depth chart, but Tyler, you, you kind of, I don't know if fell in love. is Maybe that's too extreme, but there's a freshman tight end that you yeah, like. Yeah, uh, Chris Bounds. I thought he was really impressive um, in camp, honestly. I mean, no reason to not redshirt him for sure, uh, but to me he's pretty fluid for a big guy. I think he'll probably move his way up the chart pretty quickly once Sean Irwin's gone. I think he'll probably, he's, if you don't include Keeney, who plays kind of a different role, I think he's probably the most likely to replace Sean Irwin as a starter on the team right now. And he had no other options coming out of high school, so it kind of just fits in with whatever always seems to happen. The lowest-rated guy in the class seems to be an okay football yeah. player when he gets to campus. Moving along to wide receiver, Nelson Spruce, the, the top receiver at X receiver. He's going to move around to the different three, to all three receiver positions. Bryce Bobo listed as backup. He's a guy that can move around, interchangeable. Shea Fields at Z receiver, same thing. 
Uh, Lee Walker is listed behind him. He's a guy that I, I don't think you're going to see on the field a ton, but can help out with his speed quite a bit. Uh, Brian, why don't you talk about kind of the slot receiver role? Devin Ross listed there with Donovan Lee and Jay McIntyre behind him. Yeah, again, you, you talk about guys that can move around. Devin Ross spent a lot of time during that redshirt year making sure he knows all the positions, making sure he knows what to do out of all those positions. Um, like you said, they're going to be switching these guys. Around. They they want they get, they got to get creative with Nelson Spruce um, to try and get him into single coverage. So they're going to be shifting guys everywhere. You'll see Devin Ross line up on the, you know, wide. You'll see him line up in the slot. And somehow, you know, Donovan Lee gets put behind him on that slot receiver role. And Donovan Lee had a great camp um, and pretty much solidified himself as really, as ter in terms of a true slot guy, he's the number one guy there. And then Jay McIntyre, um, who, again, really good football player, stuck behind uh, some, some pretty talented dudes there. So I still think you'll see Jay McIntyre have, uh, have some catches this year, but um, not... Not going to see as much time on the field as Donovan Lee. Jay McIntyre had uh, an ankle injury yeah. that held him out some of some of camp. Uh, he was a guy that was like the last guy to leave the practice fields most days. And one time I just jokingly said to him, Jay, Jay, you're working too hard. And he had a very serious look on his face. He says, i got to make a name for myself, which is kind of interesting. It's like he kind of understands the, the outside perception that maybe he doesn't belong at CU because his dad is the coach. That's the only reason he's there. Of course, anybody that's followed CU closely and been to practices since he got there realizes that's not the case. But it's, it's just kind of interesting how much work that he's put in uh, that we've seen from him. I'm surprised he didn't respond to you, you're not working hard enough, because he was a first, <laughs> I had a first-hand witness of me smoking you in the 100-yard <laughs> Yeah, well... <laughs> I came to a realization that I'm old and slow that day. <laughs> I feel like I just have this like thing about me where I just make people feel old. I'm starting to feel bad about it. Actually. <laughs> oh, God. Anything else you guys want to throw out there against? I, mean, I would just say it's but, the deepest position on the team. I mean, there are six, probably even seven guys that you're going to see out there that you are comfortable with being on the field. I mean, it's the first time in a while that you could throw out a five-wide receiver set and be like, wow, there's a lot of talented people out there. Yeah. Someone's going to be open. Yeah. Like Jason Espinoza isn't part of it. No. Or nope. An Ebner. Sure yeah, an Ebner. <laughs> Dusty spray. <laughs> Left tackle Jeremy Irwin going to protect Sefo Lufau's blind side again. He put on some good weight, listed at 295. Uh... Sam Cronsage listed as his backup at left tackle. Sam's going to be the backup at both tackle spots, uh, so he'll also back up Stefan Nemba at right tackle. At center, of course, Alex Kelly coming off a pretty darn good season last year, his first year as a starter. Left guard, Jer Jared Coe is going to bring some nasty down there in the trenches. Guys, let's talk a little bit about the right guard rotation. Uh, I don't think any of us were necessarily super surprised when they said that Jonathan Huckins and Shane Callahan are going to rotate. Do you but did you like it? Would you have preferred for one guy to kind of emerge and then you have your set five guys that can kind of build that continuity? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the only position where you don't know for sure who's going to be starting. I mean, I think there's a pretty large separation gap between the other positions. Uh, for Yes, you would like to see one of them step up and take over the um, take over the role there so you have a little continuity on the offensive line. I mean, I think chemistry is a big part of what makes the offensive line successful. Um, but they have been rotating in and out, and I think probably they're pretty comfortable with both guys in there. Um, we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, I'm not going to freak out about it yet. I just don't, I don't believe Mike McIntyre when he says they're they're going to rotate him the whole year. I just one of them is going to play better than the other one. Like it just has to happen. And so if that's happening, you keep that guy out there. Why can't he stay on the field like the rest of the offensive line? I I just feel like that's a little bit of a dishonesty there. 
we keep it pretty PG on this podcast. If you're listening with kids, maybe have them put on the earmuffs here. <laughs> I know where this is going. I talked to Gary Bernardi, the offensive line coach, uh, after practice today, and I just kind of asked, you know, is it a good thing that this rotation at right guard, or would you have preferred one of them to emerge? And he goes, well, they weren't shitty. I'm not going to put a bunch of shits out there. <laughs> <laughs> so so at least we can go from there. Huckins and Callahan, they, they weren't and I'll stop using profanity here, but it was kind of funny. I was like, well, thanks, Coach. I can't use that quote. But... Well, you just did. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> our podcast now. <laughs> All right. Anything else offensively here, guys? This is a, an offense that made big steps year one to year two under the staff. A lot of players back. And there's this assumption that, hey, there's this, aside from two offense guards, you're bringing everybody back, this, this team should be better offensively. Uh, do you guys buy into that 100%? That the offense be better than last year? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be. I mean, you have one more um, one more year together. I think there's a lot more talent. Um, I'm, I'm really pretty comfortable with the offense. I think they're going to put up a lot of points this year, and not just in situations where they're playing catch-up. I think they can really score early on in the game. I think they'll be pretty good. Yeah, I don't really think talent-wise they went backwards anywhere except for maybe Tyler McCulloch's role, um, just because – I. I feel like he ended up having the perfect body type for what they wanted to do there. I don't think Keeney's quite as, as quick as him, so I think that's the only place where, and it's not even like a real position in an offense that they really downgraded. So I think everywhere else they went forward. And yeah, we do we do forget about that. And Brian Lindgren said, hey, when he was looking at the cutups from late last season, that a lot of their success was because of Tyler McCulloch and, and, and defenses having to kind of account for him. So yeah, that is the one thing that they don't really have this year. As McIntyre said at media day, it's like if they just finish one more of those drives where they had to settle for a field goal this year and then defensively do the same, that makes a huge difference in a football game. They better finish the drives because settling <laughs> for field goals might be settling for nothing. Yep, yep. Defensively, let's start up front. And we've got to kind of f- clean this up a little bit. The depth chart that CU releases still has them with a 4-3 base. And so, like... Derek McCartney, for instance, is listed as a starter at left defensive end. He's a hybrid now. He's an outside linebacker. He works with Jim Levitt and the linebackers during practice. He will help out at times in pass coverage. Um, yes, will there be times where he goes up and puts his hand in the ground? It's kind of Again, he's a hybrid guy, so he's going to do some of that stuff. Um, I think uh, the, what's the best way to kind of clean this up for fans? Should we just go kind of like the starting defense line, what they should expect? Yeah, I mean, you go through the starting defensive line and then maybe a few guys that you'll see rotate in there at specific positions. It's pretty clear. There's there's going to be six guys, really, that are going to rotate in on the defensive line. Justin Solis is going to be your starting nose tackle. Eddie Lopez, his backup. Jordan Carroll, Samson Cafavallo, Jace Frankie, and Leo Jackson are all going to play. The three technique or the five-eye, depending uh, where they're at with their defense, are going to play, kind of rotate in at those other spots. And maybe even Clay Norgard is a guy in pass, passing downs that can kind of rotate. So a six- or seven-man rotation there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's how that's definitely those, what it looks in, like from yeah. camp. And that's why we call this a 3-4, because those are there's going to be three guys with their hand in the ground on most plays. Um, like you said, Derek McCartney is going to be up around the line a lot. Whether he has his hand in the ground doesn't, doesn't really change it for me. It's This is a 3-4 defense as much as they want to. This... this this part of the depth chart was literally put out to confuse fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is It is pretty confusing. Now, uh, two guys up here in the front seven that will not travel out to Hawaii are Timothy Coleman, uh, still nursing a hamstring injury, and then Dejon Wilson, 
who uh, has back issues. I think Tim Coleman will be back pretty soon. Dejon Wilson, I don't know when he'll be back. Um, he's he's one of the few guys that doesn't really fit this new defense. Like a guy like, of course, Jimmy Gilbert fits perfectly as a hybrid guy. Dejon Wilson, to me, is kind of a traditional hand-in-the-ground defensive end. and So I, he was kind of an odd man out anyways, I think, in this scheme. Yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely seems from a camp perspective that he's not going to get a whole lot of snaps on defense this year. Um which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, you look at Jimmy Gilbert, who's not listed as a starter right now at right defensive end. I think he brought him and Derek, you will see, as the most prominent outside backer slash hybrid role guys mm-hmm. on each side of the field. So I think, you know, you, people might be worried about where that, that Jimmy's not starting. I don't think you should be. I think that he will see a lot of time and be really, really good in that role. Yeah, Dijon was actually, I, I don't know why I didn't notice this earlier, but he was actually listed below Aaron Howard to walk on at, on the depth chart, which is... Maybe a little surprising there. Uh, this defensive line has a chance to be pretty good. Um, a lot of it's kind of unproven at this stage. Yeah, I think um, the success of the defensive line is going to be judged a lot by the success of the the two lineback two inside linebackers behind them. Um, in in this defense, those three guys with their hand on the ground aren't going to be able to cover up everything. Um, you're you rely a lot <clears throat> on those linebackers to be mobile and get in there and make plays and. Kenneth Olubode, Addison Gillum, and maybe even MJ Fallow in that mix are all three capable guys of making those plays, and they're they're all light on their feet. They can all get in there and, and stick their hat in there. So I think because I actually have a decent amount of faith in that linebacking core, I I think the defensive line will end up looking pretty good. Guys, and I guess when you talk about the linebacking core, you also talk about Derek McCartney too, who I think is going to do a good job setting the edge up there. Yeah. Some guys that aren't quite in the mix, Taron Hasselback, a redshirt freshman, still a little bit more maturity and development there. Blake Robbins, who was a guy, Tyler, you were pretty high on, uh, didn't really kind of emerge into that rotation on the defensive line. Yeah, um, he didn't really, wasn't that impressive in camp to me. Um, definitely expected a little more out of him. He's a big body, but he just kind of, it seems like he doesn't have the speed really to set, uh, to, to really make an impact on the defensive line right now, at least. Um, to me, Taron is a guy who might have a chance to play a little bit in specialty situations, but he's definitely a backup for us right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think between the outside linebackers and the um, defensive ends, or the defensive linemen, sorry, you've got probably 10 or 11 guys that you can expect to see play. Anyone outside of that, I would be pretty surprised if they play, had more than a few snaps. After playing outside linebacker in the new scheme during spring ball, Michael Matthews moved down and was a hand-in-the-ground guy during camp. 6'4", 240, not quite big enough to play in that role yet. I I was really high on him coming in here. I still think down the road he might be a player, but he's a redshirt freshman, has some time to, to develop, and it's it's good when guys like that, you, you can let them marinate in the program a little bit. At linebacker, they have NJ Fowler listed at Sam outside linebacker, but I think we're going to expect him to be in one of those inside linebacker positions. Addison Gillum, Rick Gamboa, Kenneth Olobode, NJ Fowler, those are your four main inside linebackers, and that's a pretty good group. Yeah, we didn't yeah. think it was going to be a good group, honestly. I didn't going into camp. Yeah, I mean, you see, well, the three freshmen have really shored up that depth a little bit. I mean, you, you, we thought NJ would be good, but he's better than I think most of us expected right away. Uh, with Tanabe, he coming off injury, but they seem pretty happy with his progress. And then obviously Gamboa being the most improved person in camp for a few of us um, has really helped shore up the line. Because I think if he played right now, I think he honestly would do a pretty good job. Yeah, this the Sam outside linebacker just doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay. So don't look at that part of the depth chart. <laughs> Joey yeah. Weenie listed as the starter there. He will be on the field quite a bit, but I don't think you'll see him as a, as a starter. Right. 
Yeah. There. And so I hope people are reading or listening to this because I'm sure there's going to be a thousand tweets. I thought Oweenie was a, a starter. Where is he? Why isn't he out there? He'll get his time, but it's when you see someone number one on the depth chart, you expect to see him out there. You might not even see him out there in the first defensive series. So Yeah, I mean, I think that the, he, he probably starts that position should they ever utilize it. I don't expect him to utilize it very often. Um, so there, I think you mentioned a little bit earlier he might even be at some nickel in particular packages, which I especially could against in short yards, especially yeah, when the other right. team is is in is in like a pro set, right? Which you're not honestly going to see a whole lot this mm-hmm. season, but still you got Stanford on the schedule. Yep. That's a perfect nickelback yeah, to USC, face that kind of USC offense. USC uses a decent amount of yep. pro sets as well. So anything else you guys want to talk about the linebackers here? Christian Shaver is a guy that's going to help on special teams. I don't think you'll see him a ton on defense. Uh, he was obviously played as a defensive end last year. Ryan Severson, it kind of seems, again, he's kind of a special teams guy. It seems like they've almost kind of recruited over him a little bit. Yeah, he'll be guys on special teams. I don't think he'll play a whole lot of minutes at backer. All right. At uh, cornerback, Cheeto Bayo Wuze is listed number one there. I had a Kella Witherspoon, but like we were just talking, you're going to face mostly spread sets this season. He's going to be in that nickelback role. I would guess somewhere in the ballpark of like, what, 65 70% of the snaps this season? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I know they want him on the field as much as possible. It depends on if they use those four backers or the five. A lot of it is also going to depend on um, how well Akello does there. We've kind of talked about this a little bit, but he's kind of a boomer bust type corner where he's going to make some plays, but he's also going to have some times out there where you're left scratching your head on what what he was thinking mm-hmm. there. So if that happens too many times, then I don't think Really, Jim Lovett's going to have the choice but to put Cheeto back at cornerback and bring in a guy like John Walker, who you know can be solid at that nickel position. Yeah, I mean, it just depends. I mean, it's probably going to rotate between Jimmy Gilbert and that nickelback, really, is how you're going to have, you know, have to make a choice on which one of those guys are on the field. So I think it'll just depend on where they find themselves having the most success, whether or not they keep that nickel on the field all the time. But if they choose not to, I think you'll see Cheeto out there starting. Along the lines of Akella Witherspoon kind of being considered a starter, would you say on the entire defense that's your biggest question mark in terms of a starter defensively? Mm. Uh, no, I would say it's probably Solis. Really? Yeah. I think Solis, if you talk to the offensive linemen in camp, they say Solis just took his game to another level. And I think part of that is kind of taking on the responsibility of knowing that Josh Tupo is not there anymore and that he's got to be the guy. I actually expect – and now there's a, maybe a conditioning element. Solis is not going to be on the field more than about 55 60% of the time. But I have quite a bit of confidence in Solis. Yeah, so I think Solis is going to be a good player, and I also have a good amount of confidence in Eddie Lopez behind him. Um, so, I, But I, I do think um, Akello is that question mark, and it's really not based on his playmaking ability. He can He's going to make some plays out there. He, he might have you know a crazy one-handed interception. He has massive hands, um, but uh, it's a little bit mental for him. I think he he ha- he has the capability to take a playoff mentally, and as you've seen, you know big plays against this defense are was definitely their weak weakness last yeah, year. I would say for him, to me, he struggles more with the intermediate routes than you would like to see. I mean, I think he's a guy that he's going to give up a lot of third down conversions rather than a guy who's going to give up a lot of 50-yard touchdown passes because he's so lanky and he's got pretty good speed that I think he'll be able to cover those deeper routes. I'm just, my main concern with him is, is he going to be able to stop a guy in third and 12 in a slant? We haven't talked about Kenneth Crawley much because I think we are pretty confident in his ability at the other cornerback position. It was like, 
first year, of course, he just wasn't ready for the role that he had to play that year. It was hard to watch him because it was you, – you hear the term thrown into the fire and it's kind of overused. But, like, he literally was, like, yeah, getting burns on his skin yeah. because it was just <laughs> – It wasn't Robert Woods was running right by him. It wasn't a fire. It was, like, a forest fire. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was all hope was lost for him in year one. And sure. we've talked about this before, too, but Kenneth – Yuri Wright looked better than him as a freshman. Yeah. So that, that'll show you how far he's come. Credit to John Embry's staff that kind of saw that Crawley had the, the higher ceiling long-term because they, kept, they stuck with him. Then it was like sophomore year Kenneth Crawley was like there, but he, he had horrible ball skills still at that point. And then last year he was there and he was starting to make plays on the ball just for a variety of reasons. Couldn't haul you know, in an interception last year. If he can just pull in a few of those this year, all of a sudden, I don't know, is all-conference potential, is that – is that exaggerating his abilities? I think he, I think definitely not. I, I think for his NFL potential, too, interceptions are going to be huge because he doesn't have a whole lot of them in his college career, and that's not what NFL guys want to see. I think they want to be able to see that he can make plays on the ball. How many does he have? Two. two. Yeah. And they were like late-game situations. Central Arkansas, I think yeah. one of them was. It, was. it was a cool pick. He could like drag his foot in the back of the end zone. But Now, he did have an interception against Oregon State, which was one of the worst calls I've ever seen in terms of the pass. <laughs> Interference call. I mean, it just it was it was miserable, and he felt horrible for him because he finally makes a big play. That's what led partly to McIntyre's blowing up at the Oregon State at the refs after that Oregon State game. Moving along to safety, we already talked about Ryan Moeller winning the starting job there. Tedrick Thompson, one of the more irreplaceable guys on this defense, as we saw last season, they really struggled when he got hurt. So safety is the only position on this entire defensive depth chart where we don't have to explain anything. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. It's Moeller and Thompson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Evan White as a backup. Jared Bell as a backup. Afalabe Laguda as a backup. Yeah. Those five guys are all traveling out to Hawaii. And Joe Tumpkin, the safeties coach, told me they're all going to play somewhere between 30 and 35 snaps a game. Yeah, that's to me. That's it's kind of funny because last year you would you could argue that they had the least amount of depth. Like pretty much as soon as the starters went out, it got ugly there. And I think this year, especially the set, like the second string could start, and I would not be nervous. So that's just kind of an interesting transformation from one year to the other. I mean, even Afalabi Laguda, um, more of a special teams guy, but he's got some talent as well. I mean, that's a pretty good third-string safety in my eyes. We were talking during camp. Afalabi Laguda is going to blow a couple people up in, in kickoff special coverage this year. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, was my, he was my pick. Another one of those little games that we play as the media, just sitting around. He was my pick for biggest hit of the year will come from Afalabi Laguda. Yeah, he's, he's a big old boy. He's, he's got the mean streak, too. Jason Sanchez, Marquise Mosley, the other guys there that have just frankly been passed over. Marquise Mosley hasn't even made a full recovery from that E injury. Uh, I don't know if we'll see him on the field again as a Colorado Buffalo. I, I doubt it. Um, yeah, that, it's pretty amazing the transformation they've had there at safety. And uh, anything else defensively here, guys? I mean, new scheme, how, how, many, how much growing pains do you expect Jim Levitt's trying to temper expectations, so you know that they're not going to go out and be world beaters from day one, obviously. It's even hard to use the term growing pains because the team, they were so bad last year. Like, I mean, how many more points could you possibly give up, you know? Like, even if there are growing pains. Did you watch gonna, the year before? That it, wasn't even, it wasn't that much worse. That's the thing, though. To me, it's you're going to, yes, there'll be some growing pains, I'm sure, but you won't really notice them as much because even slight improvement is just going to seem so much better from this defense. I think if you can give up one less scoring drive a game, that's a hell of an improvement. 
and I think that's really reasonable for this defense. There's a lot of talent back there. There's really no reason for them to not be able to shut some teams down. The one last guy I wanted to talk about uh, who was on the depth chart here is Isaiah Oliver. Sure. Um, he, he's a freshman who, one of the few, I think we've settled on four or five, who aren't going to redshirt this year. And uh, I, I think on like the third day of camp, I looked at you guys and I said, Isaiah Oliver's going to the NFL. Yeah. And that is not to say that he's going to go out there and make huge, huge strides this year. Um, or huge plays this year, but he has like the perfect body type for a cornerback in the NFL, and he just he doesn't look like he has to try to cover people. Yeah. It just kind of works for him. He just floats along right next to him. Yeah, I haven't said this yet, actually, and it's probably unfair, and I'm going to regret it, but I'm going to say it anyway. He reminds me a lot of Jimmy, a lot of Jimmy Smith. Really fluid, natural mm-hmm. body, big body in the in the secondary. Um, Jimmy was obviously a lot bigger, but you know you remember him as a senior. We'll see if Oliver can get to that same level. But to me, he has a lot of upside potential. And what I, it seems like they're going to play him this year, which is awesome. I think he could definitely help on special teams. But I have really high expectations, as do you, for him down the road. And you can you can talk about it a little more with that drill we saw when he showed off this that speed. Yeah. So they. Early on in camp, they're just kind of running out there and setting the formations up, and then they ask the guys, they drop to the floor and then sprint off the field. Mm-hmm. He was the right, the opposite side, sideline corner, beat like seven dudes back to the <laughs> sidelines. Man, he, when he turns it up, man, he can really go. It, someone on the board the other day asked who the fastest kid on the team was, and for my money right now, it's got to be him. He'd be in the running. Uh, there's kind of a debate. Do you redshirt him, save that, preserve that year of eligibility? But you've got Kenneth Crawley going into his senior year. I think it kind of helps to get Isaiah Oliver out there for a few snaps here and there and then help on special teams, kind of get those jitters out of the way so that he can maybe take over that job or at least compete for it next year. Where, where does uh, We didn't mention Nick Fisher, who's another true freshman cornerback on the depth chart. He's yoked for a true freshman. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's listed at six foot. That's not... He's not that tall. No, he's yeah, not. he's a small dude. He's he's definitely yoked though. Yeah, he's um, he's jacked. <laughs> I think where he'll contribute this year, special teams. I think he's he's just big and he's fast. Do you think um, he will play as well? Yeah, I think I think he's gonna get out there. Okay. Um. So, but but he just he's one of those guys who right now he's just big and fast. Um. He needs to kind of learn the technique a little more of being a cornerback. But big and fast can help you on special teams. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree with kind of the same reason you said that Isaiah Oliver should play. I think that Nick Fisher should as well. I mean, a lot of the secondary guys are up there in years. Um, I think they're kind of looking for both of those guys to come in and replace eventually Akella Witherspoon, Cheeto um, as well. So I do think that both of them will play to try to get them a little bit of experience. At punter, Alex Kinney and Chris Graham both tied. They haven't made an announcement as to who their punter is going to be. Ryan, you already... Said your prediction is Chris Graham is going to be that guy. And we were talking before practice today. There's no question Alex Kinney's best punts are better than Chris Graham's punts. But it comes down to a consistency standpoint. And I think if they know that even though Chris Graham's not going to be spectacular in that role, maybe they can count on that a little bit more. I mean, we're all, we're speculating a little bit here. Yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, Dar O'Neill's first camp. Um, Zach Grossnickel, who was in the program, could boom the heck out of the ball when he really got one. But Dara went out there every day and he hit 40-yard punts with, you know, 4-2-4-3 hang time. As a, as a coach, when you see that, you know, okay, this guy, this is either going to be a fair catch or a 5-yard return with giving our guys enough time to go down there. You don't need the big 55-yard boomer if you have to deal with, you know, a, a 35 or a 40-yarder with 3-6 hang time that gets taken back to the house. 
Um, so Chris Graham, I, while he's not going to impress anyone or do anything crazy hitting bomb punts, he's going to do enough to force the, the, the returner to you know call a fair catch. And so to me, that's why I think they'll end up going there. You know, Alex Kinney as a punter reminds me of Daryl Scott as a punter in the sense that <laughs> in the sense when he gets a hold of one, it's like a thing of beauty. It, just to clarify that, he didn't misspeak. He really means Daryl Scott as a punter, not Daryl Scott as a running back. <laughs> no, but Daryl Scott would do that in practices, and Hawkins always talked about how they were going to use him in that role, and they never did, and it kind of bothered me because I just wanted to see it on game day. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't, to me, Graham is, I think, the most consistent as a kicker and a punter. Um, I really do think that they're just going to have Kenny go out there, though. I mean, I think he'll... When you just get him out there in the line of fire, you might have a couple of rough ones. But I think once you get him into the game, he'll be okay after a little bit, and I think they'll let it ride. Maybe you break him in against Nickel State, though, instead? Maybe? Okay, fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I mean, if his first punt was the same as Dar's first punt, which was back against the end zone, shaving two yards off the thing, I would, I would feel very uncomfortable about Alex Kenny being back there. Place kicker, same situation. We don't know whether it's going to be Diego Gonzalez or Chris Graham. I, uh, do you guys even have a prediction here? I really don't even know. I, I would say that it's going to be Diego outside of 40 and Chris inside. Uh, he gets the ball up quicker. He's a little more accurate. But he, outside of 40, he can't really get it there. So I, I think if they use a 40-yard, a 40 if they need one like the end of halftime or something, it'll be Diego. But I, I just doesn't seem like – in practice, Diego's been better, but they obviously don't have enough confidence in him overall. Otherwise, the position would be over. So I think maybe they're going to go with Grant. Diego had a quote to me the other day which made me feel good about him starting when I asked him if he thought he was going to win the starting role. He said, well, I don't want to say anything and get my hopes up and then have it not go my way. So I think in his mind he thinks he has been the better kicker, um, which I think is good. And, and he admitted he thinks that both both he and Chris kicked the ball really well in this camp. So I think he he sounded pretty confident in what they're going to do out there, which I thought was good. I'm not necessarily agreeing with your logic, Tyler, because Diego Gonzalez has the stronger leg, and Chris Graham maybe is a little bit more consistent 40 yards and in. But instead of I mean, rotating two subpar kickers with each other, if you just give one the job and get them some experience, more experience doing the role, they have, I think they have a higher ceiling in terms of improvement versus if they're just specializing out there. Yeah. And, and you get a little bit more... I think I just feel like if you're constantly rotating those guys, you're never really going to let either one of them really grow into the role. Yeah, yeah. To me, I mean, there's a lot of terrible kickers in college, so we're not going to be the only team with a terrible place kicker in college. I mean, you see great teams with terrible place kickers all the time, so yeah. you can hide that a little bit more. The punting, though, Oregon had a the punting problem for a while. They they always have a kicker problem. It seems like, and yeah, I mean, to me, the punting is going to be the one that hurts you a little bit more. The place kicking, I'm not as concerned with at this moment. Toby Ninas did tell me that the ideal situation would be to give one job to each guy, so Alex Kinney punter, Chris Graham, place kicker, Diego Gonzalez kickoff would be his, he didn't say those three specific, but that would be his uh, dream scenario. He just said he's not sure if it's going to work out that way. Yeah. Uh, punt returner, Shea Fields, listed above Nelson Spruce. You guys were saying before we started recording here that you kind of expect a rotation there. I actually think Shea Fields might take over that role full-time. He did pretty well in it last year. He didn't put, put any on the ground. Uh, he has a little explosiveness there. Are you guys scared at all? I mean, he's put on some weight, but he's still undersized in that role. He, 
you, you take some risks there, you can get hurt pretty pretty badly. And punt returner? I yeah. mean, there are some tiny dudes out there punt returning. It's a lot more yeah. about it's a lot more about being able to avoid that big hit, which a lot of those shifty guys are able to do. So to me, no, I'm not really worried about his size. I mean, there's there's a lot of really really tiny punt returners out there that are successful. So it, it, it's just being able to avoid that one big blow. I do think when the other team is punting, you know, from inside the 45 yard line where it's you know just outside of their kicker's range. I do think you'll see Nelson Spruce go back there. Um, I think Mike McIntyre 100% trusts him to catch the ball and 100% trusts him to call for a fair catch when that's the most. I think you'll see Shea Fields take a few more risks out there in terms of not calling a fair catch when it could be close and you know it, maybe that pays off where they run around you and you take it to the house. But uh, Nelson Spruce has never made a mistake back there in terms of when to call a fair catch and when not to. Colin Johnson, walk-on receiver, wins the holder job over Robert Orban. Thoughts, guys? <laughs> I hope I don't have to say his name during the game this year. I mean, that's you know, as long as he does his job, no one's going to care. Do you think they might try to do some of the same stuff they did with Darrow O'Neal in terms of kind of checkdowns in that holder role and maybe try to – I mean, Colin Johnson's a, a receiver. He's not going to get on the field as a receiver, but you'd assume he's somewhat athletic in that role. Are we way overanalyzing <laughs> yes. this? <laughs> yes. I'm not. I refuse. People come to Buff Stampede Radio for us to break down the holders, guys. I, come I on. will not, I not agree. I will not be put on the record saying anything about holders. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of... The uh, long snapper, I'll talk all about Tucker your, Smith. Your sleepier pick from yeah, a couple years ago? Sleepier. <laughs> How was he a senior already? Because he was a JUCO transfer. I guess. It just That seemed quick. Yeah. Well, yeah, two as, years of eligibility. Almost <laughs> as quick as he gets that snap back. <laughs> firing bullets in your top 40 countdown so no controversy with Chris Hill the backup there long snapper <laughs> no well, number Ryan 69 Koning, got it locked Ryan up Ryan Koningsberg's secret job is as like a snapping specialist he gives people go out there <laughs> yep. I'm at the Chris Saylor kicking exactly. academy kicking academy as a snapping specialist we probably lost about 40 people that just tuned out of this podcast <laughs> before we move on I we want don't to want those listeners though <laughs> false Maybe we want know. we want every listener we can get. Trust me. Buff Stampede Radio is sponsored by Velocity Real Estate and Investments. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Give CU alum Chris Schuler a chance to win your business. He serves Denver, Boulder, Sema counties in northern Colorado. Go to velocityrei.com. Guys, let's move on from kind of our analysis of the depth chart and start talking a little bit about Hawaii. On a scale of one to ten, how nervous should CU fans be about this game? Ten. 10.1. <laughs> Explain. Explain uh, your reasoning. Okay, so to me, first of all, the first game of the year is always just crushes my soul. So I just can't wait to get it out of the way. Normally it's CSU, which I guess is slightly worse even. But to me, this game is, I'm super nervous about it. It has nothing to do with Hawaii's talent whatsoever. It has a lot more to do with the fact that if we want to get to where we want to go this year, you can't lose this game. Or at least... At best, you're going three and one non-conference, which is still, you know, fine. You you got some things done there, but to me, if you win this game, your worst-case non-conference scenario becomes three and one, and you start to feel a little bit better about where this team can go moving forward. You lose, it's two and two starts coming into question. Things are scary. So to me, it's a road game. We haven't been very good on the road. Yes, we beat UMass on the road last year, but I would say this Hawaii team is probably a little better than that UMass team. It's a long trip. To me, it's just one of those ones that I just want to get out of the way. I want to see a win. I want to get back on the mainland, and we, I want to get on with this season. 
Yeah, I, I just, there's too much on the line for the nervous scale to be anything less than 10. Um, everything they've talked about this offseason, they, they're all, like, like I said, the number one thing is confidence. They're all so confident. You hear a bowl game. You see Mac, Mike McIntyre talking up this team. Um, they have all that momentum of the new facilities. They have the new uniforms. There's all this stuff going on, and all it takes is a loss in this game, and every all of that is out the window. Um, and players start questioning, you know, did they get overhyped on themselves? Are they really not that good? And they bounced back well last year um, from, you know, hard situations. I just think there's they're almost a little overconfident. I don't want to say they're looking past Hawaii. I just want to say they're so confident in themselves that I think a letdown here is going to cause for a real big drop-off off the cliff for this team's psyche. So I just, I really think that as a fan, you, you just... You just hope and, and pray that they get out of there with a victory because it's just it's too much riding on it. I said eight, and it has more to do with Hawaii just, you know, not being – I mean, they're one and nine against power conference teams the previous five years. Of course, that one win did come against Colorado uh, at Aloha Stadium. Uh, for, I mean, it, it, I'm as high as eight for, for the reasons you guys all talked about. Uh, most importantly, kind of the team psyche, which you guys hit on, so I won't dwell on that. Um, I feel like there's a lot of new pieces too with this Hawaii team, so they're kind of in a in a situation where they're trying to fit a lot of new pieces into this thing. So I don't know. I, Colorado's going to win this football game, in my opinion. But yes, Colorado fans should be nervous. For me, on a scale of one to ten, I say eight. And I think uh, there's real reason for optimism this year, and and fans, they just like won't. They're at this point right now, which I think is kind of funny to see from an outsider's perspective. They're just like not ready to to feel it yet because they they are not willing to admit to themselves that it's different this year because they're so afraid of every other year they felt that it's a little different and every other year they've been let down so I really think there is real reason for optimism this year but there's just they have to see it on that the field in that first I mean that perfectly describes how I feel right now like I'm like this team is so much better they're gonna be good I am not ready to say we're beating Hawaii at all. <laughs> it just doesn't really go together. It's I don't like know how you've, to explain you've, it. But. Your last three girlfriends have cheated it's, on you, and the new girl, <laughs> you kind of hold that against her, even though it's not fair. Sure. I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe you said that stat, though. Now I'm even more nervous. You know, one in nine, it's against us. <laughs> <laughs> you guys should see Tyler. Right he, he has his head in his hands. Well, they, they did almost beat Washington <laughs> and Oregon State at home last year. There was They were competitive in both I of know. those games, so it's not like they were blown out in all those other nine games. <laughs> the Rainbow Warriors' new pieces. They've got a new offense coordinator, Don Bailey. He was the offense coordinator at Idaho State previously. They ranked first in the FCS in passing offense and second in total defense last season. He was football scoops FCS coordinator of the year. That's pretty pretty prestigious stuff there. New defense coordinator, Tom Mason. He was the interim coach at SMU last year when June Jones stepped down. So while Colorado's adjusting to a new defensive scheme, Hawaii's adjusting to new offensive and defensive scheme. And, of course, Max Wittick. Uh, the number three ranked pro style quarterback recruit from the class of 2011 takes over at quarterback there, transfer from USC. He was kind of battling with Cody Kessler there for a couple years in 2012 and 2013 before they decided that Cody Kessler was a future. Uh, he threw for 600 yards, three touchdowns, one interception in 13 games with the Trojans. Uh, he transfers to Hawaii. He's, a, he's respected by his teammates, named a co captain. Strong arm, gunslinger mentality. Uh, this is a guy that. Uh, is, is going to take some chances. I talked to our USC publisher, and he said, 
He wasn't the, he wasn't the guy that was going to go down to his checkdown option too often. He's going to take some chances. How do you kind of see Colorado matching up against uh, an arm talent in Max Wittick in this game, guys? Uh, they have to be used to facing arm talent. They're they're in the Pac-12. Um, I think really where Colorado uh, exposes Max Wittick is is rushing rushing the passer. I think we we do expect uh, Jim Levitt to be a, a bit more aggressive, sending blitzes in this year. Um, you might you're you're going to see Chido Bayouzier um, coming off the edge sometimes, going in there blitz. I, I really think they they need to put pressure on Max Wittick back there. Um, he hasn't taken live bullets in a couple of years. They need to get back there and, and rattle him early. Um, and I think that's where they expose this matchup because Max Wittick, unlike the quarterback who I'm blanking on his name, who beat them, Moniz Brian Moniz. Yep. Who beat them down there? He beat them with his feet pretty well in that game. Um, I think he had negative rushing yards like the season before too. It completely caught yeah. you off guard. So, yeah, and I remember him taking like a, a pretty long run down the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> where CU has often struggled is a quarterback breaking open, you know, third down, and they have everyone covered and the quarterback. That's not going to happen with, with no Max Wittick is basically a statue back in the pocket. Yeah, so I think that's where they expose him. I think. Um, if Derek McCartney can get back there, I, I, I predict him to have a strip sack in this game. Um, so I, I think that's where they expose that matchup. You follow USC pretty closely, Tyler. Yeah. Did, did what were kind of your thoughts on Max Wood? Well, I remember that last time we played out there, he started against us, and Kessler came in and completely destroyed us shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. So you, I mean, you could tell the difference in how he fit in that offense. Um, yeah, I mean, he he threw. He's a hard thrower for sure, but he definitely takes some risks. We talked about that a little bit. I'm going to go back off of that. Did you say that their new defensive coordinator is from SMU? Yep. All right, well, I'm just impressed that anybody from SMU last year got rehired in any capacity <laughs> whatsoever. So um, that makes me feel a little better about their defense. So their offense should So be is good. your nervous scale down to a yeah, 9 yeah, now? Yeah. You, I don't know. It's like 10.0. You got me off the 10.1 to the 10.0. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's they're, we, We're more talented than they are. I mean, kind of transitioning on to the next thing here, the key matchup for me, I, you talked about this a little bit. It's, to me, it's the trenches because, you know, we, we've seen great passing offenses. We know, you know we know what to expect from that. To me, we have to be able to run the ball, mm-hmm. kind of just salt it away a little bit, just physically dominate them. They're obviously a big team. If we can go in there and physically dominate them and get to the, you know, get to the quarterback, create some pressure – He's going to make some poor decisions back there. I think that's really how you're going to win the game to me. So to me, the trenches, if we can if we can control the game, we'll be in pretty good shape. One of the things you hear from Colorado's offensive linemen going up against this Jim Levitt defense is that they're able to disguise things a lot better in this new defensive scheme. And again, Rome isn't going to be built. Rome wasn't built in a day, and this defense isn't going to be built in one off season. But how many days was Rome built in? Good question. <laughs> Yeah, we should find out. Thousands, I would imagine. <laughs> Hopefully it comes somewhere in this year. You know, like it took exactly that many days. Yes. Week four, 2015. Sorry. That, my curiosity just overcame me there. Go ahead. <laughs> BYU got a receiver transfer from Dylan Colley uh, from BYU. Kind of a shifty guy. The Cheeto Bayouze, I think, is going to match up a little bit with uh, in terms of he's going to be a slot guy. He 
bring some speed to complement the size of their other receivers. Quentin Pedroza, 6'2", Marcus Kemp, 6'4". And those two guys combined for 117 receptions last season. And that's pretty amazing. We saw the quarterback play and how horrible it was when Hawaii came to Colorado. The fact that two guys caught 117 passes in that off- offense last year is pretty impressive. I'm surprised their quarterbacks completed 117 yeah. passes exactly. the whole year. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was, they impressed me a little bit last year, but I, it didn't seem to me like they had great speed. So, obviously, with two big corners in Akello and Kenneth Crowley, I'm, I feel pretty confident that we can stay with those guys. But I do worry about Akello Witherspoon, not obviously from a height standpoint, 6'3", but even though he's put on some weight, from a physicality standpoint, can he match up against uh, you know 6'4", Marcus Demps, who's got some beef on him? I hope so. <laughs> I really do. I mean, we'll I, think, I think you'll see him get body a couple times. I mean, he's not going to be able to win the matchup the entire game on every play, but... His length, I think, is where, where that can help him. You know, even if a guy kind of gets into him, he, he can reach around. He has really long arms, and like I said, the, like maybe the biggest hands on the team. I've heard that Hawaii's defensive line is a big question mark this year, so uh, that's one kind of weakness on their side. Anything else you guys want to throw out there, key matchups, anything about CU going out to Hawaii? Just the fact that I think it's going to be a wet, rainy game. Uh, on a, a wet field, wet ball, I really think that they're going to need to expose that defensive line and um, run the ball pretty hard, which is why my guy that, you know, in our video preview, which will, will come out later this week, my guy that I chose to kind of um, have a big game was Philip Lindsay. Yeah, I mean, so it's, to me, it's most beautiful to watch football when you can just literally, you know, line up on every single play and just physically dominate the opposing defense. I mean, that's what you want to see in these non-conference games where you're supposed to be better. You should be able to actually, you can just see them physically dominating their way down the field. So what Colorado State did to Colorado in the second half last yes. year? Yes, like, the thing of beauty. You loved that, didn't you? Well, I like, that's what I mean for us. <laughs> when is the last time a, team is better. When is the last time a team that you cheer for did something like that? Never. That's the problem. <laughs> that's why I want to see it so badly. 2001? Yeah, the Browns, I mean, they're a good running team sometimes, I guess. Trent Richardson, yeah. Rookie year, he was pretty good. We're losing some more viewer, listeners here. <laughs> let's let's move on to our <laughs> Pac-12 college football predictions. Do, are you ready to move on, Tyler? Yeah. I was, You're giving I was, me the evil eye over no, here. No, I'm not giving you the evil eye. I'm just saying. I just went with the conversation. My mom is still listening. So. He's, hate, he's hating on my <laughs> Colorado all teams. All right, we'll go through this pretty quickly. People are listening to this podcast because they're Colorado fans. They don't need to hear us. Ramble on a ton about other college football stuff, but hey, we got to get on the record with some other stuff. I was going to ask you guys to do kind of your Pac-12 preseason power rankings. Let's go at it this way so it doesn't linger on too long. Let's talk about kind of overrated, underrated in terms of you know kind of the national expectations. Ryan, do you want to lead us off here? Um, yeah, I'll just start with the team. I think is a little bit overrated. I think that's Oregon. <clears throat> um, I'm just I'm not truly convinced that. Vernon Adams is going to make a seamless transition into that offense and and go out there and be a world beater. I think people are underestimating how big the downgrade of Marcus Mariota uh, to Vernon Adams is going to be there. So I just think that alone is the most important position in the field. I think that alone um, is going to make a big difference for them this year. I don't I don't see them um, necessarily threatening to be a college football playoff team or anything like that. Uh, actually, at Oregon as well, but for a completely different reason. I have no issues with Vernon Adams coming in there. I think he'll be pretty good, actually. Uh, to me, it's just the rest of the team. Um, I, you know, they lose a lot of guys um, talent-wise, and to me, 
I just I don't really trust that program as much long term. I, I think they kind of come back to the field a little bit this year. Um, the Pac-12, I think, is there's a lot of teams at the top that are really similar in talent level, and I don't really see anybody coming out of it undefeated for sure. And I, I'd be surprised if more than maybe one team has one loss. So yeah. I, I could see that being an issue in the pack in the uh, playoff picture because I think they're really going to go after each other a little bit, especially in the South. Yeah, you can make a case for Stanford, Oregon, UCLA, USC, and Arizona State, any of those five teams winning the Pac-12 this year. Yeah. And to your point, I think it's going to be a situation where the conference is going to kind of cannibalize itself. We've seen this at, with the SEC at times, especially in the SEC West, where there's just so many quality teams. And then you have a program like Colorado that's better. Uh, they were so close in so many games last year. They could be a real a team that kind of throws a wrench in things for other teams this fall. Cal, I think, is going to be a better football team than some people give them credit for. I think their defense is actually going to be quite a bit improved. And obviously Jared Goff's one of the top uh, quarterbacks in the conference. I think Arizona is a little bit overrated. They had everything kind of fall in the right. It's like they were everything that could go their way went their way last year. I know Scooby Wright is probably is the best defensive player in the country, but he's just one guy. I think that's a team that's going to come down to, to earth a little bit. I think Utah is a little bit overrated too. People talk about – them being in the same class as those other teams in the South, I think they're clearly the, the fifth best team in the South this year, in my opinion. I think Washington's going to be horrible. Oregon State's going to be horrible this year. Colorado has a chance. I actually have them 11th ahead of Oregon State in terms of my power rankings going into the season. Still behind Washington? Mm-hmm. So Slightly. Do you think Colorado's going to be horrible? I think well, Col- Washington Colorado has, high, has a higher expectation level than Colorado well, that does. that and they play in the North. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think but if Washington play, if Washington, well, yeah, I guess you could say that, but I think Washington will probably have more. Com- I'm with you. I had I had Washington, Colorado, Oregon State last three, but to me, it's just simply we play in the South. I don't see as many opportunities for whites. Who's a better team, Colorado or Washington? If they played on a neutral field, I would. It would be a toss-up game for me. It'd yeah. be a pick 'em game. I could see that as well. Okay. Um, who do we? Uh, Washington State actually has uh, Luke Falk's uh, a little bit more versatile as a quarterback than what they had with Connor Holiday. I actually think I could see them getting to, to five or six wins. I think they're better than Oregon State this year. Um, who do you guys? I have UCLA winning the South um, just slightly ahead. I mean, I really splitting hairs between them and USC. What, what do you guys? Think? I have USC. I have USC South. as well. Yeah. Also, I don't know if this changes your prediction any much, but. Uh... Ishmael Adams just arrested for robbery on campus. Okay. So $100,000 bail. Yikes. Ooh, that's not Yikes. good. That, he stole some serious stuff then for sure. Yeah, I have USC as the number one. I, th- I just think they have the most talent. I'm not a huge fan of Sarkeesian um, in terms of getting them to a playoffs. But I do but, want to party with him. Well, Tyler, you wanted to party with party with Pete Carroll more than you wanted to party with Sarkeesian. I'll party with anyone with that much money. Really. <laughs> I like partying with Tyler, and thanks, he's not even close to that level. USC has a ton of talent, Tyler. There's no disagreeing there. But Leonard Williams was such a force on the interior of that defensive line. They lose him. They lose Buck Allen offensively at running back. Nelson Aguilar was one of the top receivers in the conference. There are some pieces they're having to replace there. Oh, for sure. They, Again, I guess my, my point here is that even though the Pac-12 is arguably the, the best or definitely the top one of the top two conferences, there's there's weaknesses with every single football program in this conference. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I don't think there's really a team right now. If I had to say one of these teams worthy of being in the playoffs, I would say no. I think I think there's six or seven teams that are worthy of being in the top twenty-five discussion for sure. 
Um, but I'm not 100% convinced that one of them is good enough to win the national championship. Yeah, and I think, and I don't want to get Colorado fans too overconfident, but I think what you just said about how every team has weaknesses that can be exposed is why Colorado could be that team like Arizona of last year, where things everything just kind of goes their way. And, and, and when that happens though with Colorado, then you're maybe talking in three conference wins. Is that a bowl game? Yes. Okay. That's yeah. I think Stanford might be a little underrated. Um, you know, their their red zone offense play calling is probably the worst in college football. Kevin Hogan struggled at times early on last season. It came out after the season that his dad was sick and, and, and did end up passing away. The last three games, he was on a tear. He was arguably the best quarterback for the last three weeks of the season. I don't know if that's going to translate, but I think Stanford is a, is a team that I know is kind of like a top 25 team, but I think it could maybe even be you know, a top 10 team if, if they there's put another, it together. There's another Pac-12 quarterback who had his coming out party against Colorado. <laughs> I had him number three. Okay. Stanford. Um, to me, though, they're kind of a downward-trending program. Like They just don't seem to be getting as much of the big-time talent as they were four or five years ago. Um, so I think they're, they've kind of like leveled off as a team that could be in the top 25 most years, but they're not going to – I don't think they're competing for Rose Bowl wins anymore. Fair enough. Who do you guys have making the college football playoff this year? I think one team is going to be similar on all our lists, and I honestly don't want to have Ohio State on my list winning the championship, but it's just – they have too much talent. You can't not pick them, yeah, in my opinion. Is, I, I, we did the show last year right after um, Braxton Miller got hurt, and I said on the show last year that I had them going undefeated and winning the title. Um, obviously, they did. They lost that first game, but with with him healthy, I, I had them going undefeated, and I have them going undefeated and winning the title again this year. I really do think they're by far the best team in the country. They just have ridiculous talent all over the field. Um, <coughs> Urban Meyer just... To me, he's the best coach in college football right now. I mean, he just he can he can take he's just that much that much of a factor to me. They're they're just that much better than the rest of the field to me. And so I, go ahead, sorry. Something I would add about Ohio State is they also don't have to play in one of those ridiculous conferences. Um, I think they could easily compete with anyone, obviously, in the SEC. The fact that they don't have to go up against an SEC opponent every week, I think, is a pretty big advantage for them. Um, sure. As they make a long stretch and they play, you know, the mo- the mo- they'll, they'll play the most games as anyone as anyone in the country when it comes if they make it to that college football final. So I think that's a big advantage for them. I think Auburn's going to make it to the championship game. You have Will Muschamp joining. Gus Malzahn there, one of the best offensive minds with one of the best defensive minds. They have a ton of talent. Uh, they had a really lucky season two years ago where kind of everything went together for them last year kind of. You, you can't re- duplicate that same luck every year. and I think this is a year they bounce back to be kind of uh, national contenders. Yeah, um, I have them in mind too. Um, I think they're, they're one of those. Uh, it's hard to pick out of those um, SEC teams, but I think that, that's – I think I have two. I think Alabama's going to make it in as well. Yeah, I mean I had Auburn in mind. Um, it's kind of a toss-up between Alabama and LSU and Auburn for me as to which team will get out of the SEC – um, I, my to round out my four, I had TCU as well, and I had Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame had a lot of injuries late last year. Started off really hot. I think they they get a lot of those pieces back. They're going to have a really really good defense, and I like how their schedule sets up. They play a lot of good teams, not a lot of great teams. Um, so I think that they're going to have an impressive overall strength of schedule, but also they're matching up against teams that I think they should beat more often than not. So to me, it just it just sets up for them the right way to maybe find a way to sneak in there. Not to get too crazy with hypothetical situations here, but what let's say Michigan State beats Oregon early, 
and then they run through and then you know they lose to Ohio State they might be one of the top four teams but can the Big Ten really justify getting two teams in the playoff I feel like there would be a massive uproar if that happened I, it just depends on what else happens. I mean, it's it, to me, it's entirely possible that the SEC and the Pac-12 will all have two lost teams. And if that occurs, then I could, yeah, I could see them finding a way to sneak in there with one loss over champions from other leagues. I, I think it's unfortunate that I really don't think the Pac-12 gets a team in this year. And that's just tough because I, I do think it's the best conference. Well, if Oregon wins the conference but has that early season loss, I think they would get in. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, we could spend all day talking about what if scenarios. I guess we'll just kind of let it play out. Heisman Trophy pick. Who do you guys have? Zeke. Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe all of us are going to have Zeke. Obviously, I'm, I thought maybe I was a little bit of a homer, but he's just so good. He's so good. He's. Yeah. I think watching how Ohio State played off last year, not only is he so good, some of those bruising running backs don't get as much of support system, you know, because people tend to find it a little more boring. But it seemed like a lot of people really rode the Ohio State wave last year and really enjoyed how all the odds they overcame to win last year. It seemed like a lot of people enjoyed that entire process. And people just love Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. So I think people are going to really enjoy watching him play. And even if he maybe doesn't have as big of a year, he's on the best team in the country and he's their best player. I really think that he'll probably win. I think talent-wise, LSU running back Leonard Fournette is kind of on par. Nick Chubb from Georgia is really up there too, but Ohio State's the better team. They have the better O-line. That's why I think he, uh, that's why I pick Ezekiel Elliott as my pick there too. I know like the the three years before you can go to the NFL is like a good rule in general. Sometimes for running backs though, especially for a guy like Ezekiel Elliott that's ready, you kind of feel bad for them because you know with running backs, there's only so many hits that those guys can take. I feel like he should be in the NFL right now. Yeah, it's just extra mileage and that's why it's one of the reasons that you see less and less running backs picked in the first round because it's they they become a dime a dozen and a guy you know a guy like Ezekiel Elliott isn't going to be a ten year uh, killer in the NFL. It's just not how it works anymore. Yeah, I mean I think that that. Then NFL kind of had a little bit of an overreaction to that running back thing a couple years ago. I mean, it got to the point that no one even went until mid-second round. I think two went this year, right, in the first round? Two running backs? I'm not sure. You had Gurley and you had uh, Melvin Gordon both Mm -hmm. go first round. that's right. So uh, I think you'll see a little more of that. I think the NFL realized, okay, this is, you know, we've gone a little too far with this. So I think the elite guys will still sneak into the first round. Um, But, yeah, I mean... You, even in it's funny. Even in high school recruiting, we've seen a couple of kids say we're not going to play running back in college anymore because of the wear and tear on our body. We want to play in the it's secondary. Smart, smart decision right. for a lot so of kids. It definitely has become a little more of a less uh, flashy position then than you it got, used to be when we were growing up. For then sure. Then you got Cheeto telling BG Brooks he wants to be put in the backfield. So <laughs> he idolized Walter Payton. Yeah. Well, before we sign off here, guys, we got to revisit. Our predictions before camp, Tyler, you predicted this to be a four-win Colorado Buffaloes team. Ryan and I both predicted this to be a five-win football team. Any change to your prediction, guys? Uh, yes, I'm going to switch mine to five, which I said that I probably would. Um, I'm a little scared to say why, because I don't want to jinx it, but I'm not going to say it. So <laughs> no. we're going to go to five. This, this, that makes I'm, for a good, a good podcast. We're healthy. We're healthy. <laughs> Okay, you got a lot of wood right yeah, We're healthy. We're healthy. We got through camp pretty healthy. Um, I liked what I saw. I, uh, yeah, five. 
It was. I thought it was like the John Embry no, hurry up no, no. offense. You didn't want to. No, no. no I it. just we we've avoided the bad injuries, and I didn't want to jinx it two days before we left. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you want to give out your address in case they get a torn ACL tonight. People can send their angry hate mail no, to. No, not Raha. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ryan knows if you want to bug in for it. Yeah, it's a nice place. Uh, I uh, I said on the last podcast I will not raise my win prediction prediction unless I really see something um, that truly makes me believe that they're going to win six games. And as I sit here today, I truly believe they're going to win six games. Um, th- there's too much talent on that team for me to think that they're only going to win one conference game. Um, they're going to have an opportunity to go to a bowl game. It's whether or not they they finish those games. I believe they're going to finish those two games. There's going to be um, some sort of meltdown at some point because they're not going to win every single game that they have a chance to in the fourth quarter. But I, I really think they're going to be in a, a good chunk of these games, um, and a couple of them have to go their way. So uh, uh, six wins, and I would be shocked if they win less. Well, this kind of sucks because I'm, now, wait, I'm following suit by... Can I say one last thing? Sure. If they lose to Hawaii, that, I, I'm <laughs> dropping it to four. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's <laughs> cheating. That's not how this works. Right? <laughs> we're we're, we're going to do one after the Hawaii game. <laughs> yeah, I say this sucks because I'm bumping mine up too, and I really don't want fan expectations to get like too crazy. Put your hand down, Tyler. <laughs> Why does that suck? That's awesome. This is the first time ever that we've all been confident through camp. Well, I feel like we we agree too much on this podcast, and sometimes it's good to have a little bit back and forth. But no, I'm bumping mine up to six wins as well. And it just, like Ryan, you said it perfectly, like this is a prediction. It has to be like what you really think is going to happen, and that's what I think is going to happen with this football team. Yeah, I think a lot of times as media we feel like we have to be very careful because of what you said. You don't you don't want to raise the expectation so hard because then it's even worse on the message boards when something bad happens. Um, but like you said, an honest prediction, what you really think is going to happen, I don't see this team only winning one conference game. They're better than Yeah, them. I mean, this is the best team we've had in a while. So while I'm sticking it to five right now, like, I mean, no matter what happens, this team is headed in the right direction for me. So I don't want to seem like a pessimist. I'm not, I'm not ready to necessarily say we're going to get to six. It wouldn't shock me at all to get to six at all. Um, so to me, I mean, there's a lot of optimism for me on how this team is going to look this year. I think we're definitely headed in a positive direction, and I'm really ha- excited to see how it comes to fruition. Can we call up Will? Maybe he'll predict, like, three wins or something. Just to He was. It. He took a lot of flack last year because he didn't predict to see you to win many games. What was his prediction three last year? 3-9 last year. Three. And we, we didn't even do that. And his is the lowest, yeah. I mean, I think me and him are both at 3-9. Yeah. Okay. Do you, like, Tyler, do you think that your prediction might even be six if you didn't have such a history of disappointing seasons? Yeah, 100%. I I think that does factor into it a little bit because I just can't fully convince myself that those wins that we're so close to getting will actually happen. We we talked about this a lot last year, too. We were like, oh, we're so close, we're better, even though we're 2-10. and And I was just like, no, I mean, you have to win. And to me, that's still the case. That's still what I look to number one overall. And, you know, Absolutely, they could get to six, but I, I need to see it. It's like, you you know, I tweeted out the stat. I think that Colorado hasn't started 4-0 since 1996 or something crazy like that. Um, and those are the things that make it hard to, to right now sit here and say they're going to be 4-0. and 
They're they typically had a amount. Better, they, they they had yeah. usually tougher non-conference. Exactly. Teams. That's why. But you look at it and you're like, wow, four zero is not easy. You look at the teams they play. They are considerably better than every team that they're going to play in those four games. Yeah, I mean Colorado State might have an argument there. Um, I'm sure I'm going to pick Colorado to win that football game. It's always we'll see. it's always a toss up <laughs> when they play Colorado State. Yeah, for sure. Um, but in terms of talent on the field, they are they have more talent than Colorado State. You got to promise me that we do one of these after the Hawaii game because if we win, it will be the happiest I've ever been <laughs> on one of these in my life. That is a guarantee. So I hopefully you'll let me be on the radio. So I, I want some like raw emotion from you too. I'm going to call you up right when the exactly. game ends. Exactly, do it. You can put it out. Just the phone call. That could, instead of the opening clip, you can just have me on the phone, just screaming. <laughs> yeah, at 2 a.m. on Thursday, it's going to be it's good. It's going to be like 3:30. Yeah. Well, what's funny with Ryan and I is that in our jobs we have to try to be as non-biased as possible, and of course we're only around CU's program in the camp, so. Like a lot of the positive things kind of seep in, and you're not at every other Pac-12 team, and so I, I think that kind of goes into some of the optimism there. Um, but really, going back to our initial topic was just this looks like more like a Power Five team, and I think that's the main reason why my prediction went up. And uh, another thing, Ryan and I can't do is publicly just cheer and stuff, but it's like you've covered this football team through so many rough seasons. I can't, I can't go through another <laughs> season like that. That's pure honesty out of Adam Munster Tiger right there. I mean, it's true. It's it's so much more fun to cover winning teams. I mean, like covering the basketball team two years ago when they when they were having a lot of success before Spencer went down. That's fun. Everyone's having fun at practice. You know, the, the players have funny quotes after the games. They're laughing. They're you know they're sitting there and it's not every, you know they they'll put four guys out in front of us after a football game. And after they lose, all of them have their hand, their head in their hands, and they're looking straight forward. They they can't even look each other in the eyes out there. After they win, they got their arms around each other. You got John Embry bringing the entire senior class in there. Yeah. Everything is so much more fun after wins, and it just it makes our jobs a lot easier. So it's it's when, easy for us to want them to have success. When they lose football games, and you're going to that post game press conference, in the back of your your head, you're going, "How big of an asshole am I going to be right now?" Because yep. These are 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old young men that just put their heart into it, and they go in there, yeah, fighting back tears, and it's like, but you still have a job to do. You still have to ask them that, and it's it's not any fun. And then you go home, and you see the message board, and it's just chaos with fans <laughs> just going nuts, and they have every right to vent. It's like, you, you're you like, go for it, but just don't, you know, go. There's a certain line you can't cross. And but Even for me, I mean, as a younger person, I, I sometimes leave those press conferences, I get my work done, I go out to hang out with my friends. You run into those players in real-life situations, it's like, there's a, there's an interesting balance there. If I just asked you, you know, why did you just blow that game? What happened? And then I, I see you in a regular-life situation an hour later. So it it's definitely creates an interesting uh, a vibe. So maybe we'll, we'll in, internally we'll be pulling off a, a Tyler Ziskin in terms of excitement after this game. We'll see. I want to see Tyler's Twitter. It's going to be awesome. No, dude, I promise that I'm not. After looking through all the ones last year, I, like, <laughs> I might not even tweet during the game. You just have, to, you have to, you have to, if you're really going to go attack a player, <laughs> wait until the game's done. I don't even feel like I was attacking them that much. It's just saying completely <laughs> absurd things. I couldn't. Like, that are partially funny and partially, like, 
your rage. <laughs> we uh, we did obviously our our buffs read mean tweets, and I really <laughs> wanted to use a Tyler Ziskin tweet, but I just I couldn't find one with appropriate language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> and at bsndenver.com, we're all about the kids. Oh, okay. <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, how are how annoyed are you that this game is kicking off at eleven p.m. Colorado time? Fourteen. Um, I don't really mind it. I. I now I get the opportunity. I'm going to go sit in studio for um, the BSN Denver Sports Desk in the morning. So I'm going to do the whole show with them. Oh, cool. Um, I might even have some time to play some golf in between then and the game. A uh, little game prep. I like it. I think every game should be at 11 p.m. Oh, God, please no. Well, it's nothing to do with it being too late as much as it just, it just, it's another reason for me to be nervous. Because the team is not used to playing at that ridiculous time. Well, people are making a thing about the time. I don't think that has... As Mike McIntyre said after practice today, that hey, these are college kids; they're nocturnal, anyways. But the the humidity could be a factor. I would Maybe, imagine. I don't know. To me, in, this is obviously not a direct comparison. But in high school, we you know you played at the same time every single night, and when you had tournaments during the day on the weekends, like it's just different. I didn't like it. Like, I think it would be different if it was like a early start time, like, like what, what Hawaii did I, last yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's true because I did like I. Yeah, maybe maybe the later wouldn't have killed me so bad, but I didn't like playing during. The I game. will say, uh, talking to to former players, they they hate the the uh, the night games because you have so much time during the day to just sit there and think. Um, you know, obviously they're in and out of meetings and that sort of thing, but when the Buffs play, you know, a one p.m. game at Folsom Field on a Saturday, it's you wake up, you go to team breakfast, you have a meeting, um, you get ready, and then you're out there on the field, you know, practicing. This is a little bit different because you sit there and you're, you know, you're watching other college. Well, it won't be. They won't. I guess they might be, have one college game on um, in the afternoon for them, which will be about five our time, I think. But there's just a lot of time to just sit there and think, and I, it's not that that's a bad thing. The players just don't like it as much. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think it's more just frustrating. But I don't necessarily get out there. Sure, know? sure, I can see that. Well, I've got a nap in my future on Thursday. I know, I know that much. <laughs> And then Brandon Stevens, one of CU's top recruiting targets, is set to announce at uh, 7.30 our time on Friday. So it's like I'm contemplating maybe pulling an all-nighter because by the time I get content from my guy covering out in Hawaii, we're talking it's going to be like 5 in the morning. So maybe the nap in a Red Bull for me. I don't know about you guys. Brandon Stevens, shock the world. That's a, it's going to need more than a Red Bull if you're going all night. Well, I'm going to have a nap before. Yeah, he takes a nap beforehand. Be just like How me. long can you really? I mean, you're not getting an eight-hour nap. In. I'm a world-class napper. <laughs> really? <laughs> I see. I used to be. Now I'm a, like 30 minutes tops. Yeah, I hate naps. But though, for those who love them, they really utilize them to the max. Well, how long into this podcast are we? About an hour and 30 minutes. I, I never think we're going to go this long, and we just start it's rambling on. But then we naps. hear from people at fall camp to talk as long as you want. I can listen to. Uh, I want to hear Buffs podcasts all day. So yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I think we exhausted we all like every... talking, so it's yeah. fun. All right. Anything else you guys want to throw out there? I think we've exhausted pretty much every topic here. Oh, I mean, I think it's just nice to finally, you know, we've been talking about what's going to happen all season. It'll be nice to, it'll be nice to actually get some results. I'm just hoping that we don't have to come back here in two weeks and start talking about coaches on the hot seat. Oh, God. Anything like that. Well, that's a really horrible way to end yeah, this like, podcast. <laughs> going to have to end all negative. Well, I hope that we get to come back here in a couple sing weeks and talk song, about right? being undefeated going into Colorado State. Yeah. Tyler, you want to sing, sing the fight song for us? I do, but no. I'm not going to. Okay. All right. 
thanks everyone for tuning in. I don't know when we're going to create another podcast. I think you guys, it sounds like you want to do a post-Hawaii game podcast, huh? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. We're doing, we're doing one if I'm all, all smiles. So we, we can't can be fair-weather podcasters. Why not? <laughs> you can. Yeah, that's my job. All right, no, well, just kidding. We can. We can do both. I'm just saying I'm really looking forward to hopefully Goodness, this doing a podcast afterwards that's all smiles. All this, all this stuff is just making me think that CU fans need to turn the nervous up to like 12. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll sign off here. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Start it. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team f***ing here. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team here.